Well, hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. And on tonight's show, I look at a number of stocks that have some market headwinds now, but I think will be much more loved in 2022. So the question is, will Zip, Qantas, Afterpay, Woodside and Westpac have higher share prices next year? And is it time to buy them now or should you wait? We'll look at this with Fairmont Equities, Mike Gable, and we'll get the view on Zip also from the CEO of Zip, Larry Diamond. We'll also ask, is zero on the way up again? And Marcus Bogdan of the Switch to Dividend Growth Fund will tell us what his latest hot dividend paying stock is. And I asked Charlie Aiken of Aiken Investment Management, is it too late to buy that booming hot US stock Microsoft. That's the show. So let's do the chart and technical analysis on Zip, Qantas, Afterpay, Woodside and Westpac with Mike Gable. Welcome to the program, Michael. Thanks, Peter. Well, as I pointed out in my introduction, we've got Larry Diamond, the CEO of uh, Zip, coming on the program after you, in fact. So let's have a look at uh, the chart for Zip and a few other ones that mm. are, are really, I think, are quite um, timely to have a look at. Let's kick off with Zip. What's the chart telling you, mate? So what I've got here is a weekly chart of, of Zip. So we're going back to the start of 2019. Um, each of these uh, candles uh, represents a week's price action. So we can see that, you know, longer term, Zip is still in an uptrend. It's done spectacularly well, you know, from about a dollar, um, has been as high as, as over $14. We've still got that big uptrend, but but as um, I guess a lot of viewers will notice, it has been a, uh, a bit of a crazy ride over the last couple of years. Um, you know, when it gets going, it makes, you know, these massive gains, but... Um, you know, at the moment, it's, it is on the it is on the way down. Um, so I think that if you're looking for an entry point, you can uh, get this one just a little bit cheaper. I have to admit, over the last several weeks, the, it looked like there were a couple of occasions there where um, it was bouncing quite solidly off that seven dollar level, and it was ready to get going again. But at the moment, you know, there is just a bit of weakness. Maybe it goes back towards six dollars. I think at worst five dollars. Um, but in the short term. As I said, it looks like we'll probably get it a bit cheaper. But as you can see, if you can get this one at the right price when it when it does get moving, you can you know you can do really well out of it. Yeah, it should be interesting to see what uh, the CEO Larry Diamond has to say about the company. You know, a lot of people thought it reported pretty well last week, but the market didn't yeah. like it. So maybe he's got a, a, a take on that. Let's go to its big rival, uh, Afterpay, and I think mm. the analysts think there's a about you know, 15, 16% upside for Afterpay. What are your charts saying, uh, Michael? So with, with Afterpay, it's a similar story where short-term there is there is that pressure, um, that downwards pressure on the share price, unfortunately. So, you know, it had a very nice um, sort of rally uh, sort of in May, start of June. Um, and we could see that, we could see on this chart here, it, you know, made up quite a bit of ground, but... Um, what I've indicated with that horizontal line is towards the end of June, it it went back to that same peak that we saw in April, which is the horizontal line. But instead of being able to hold above that, um, it quickly was was sold down. So that is a sign of, of of weakness, and we can see that that since then, you know, afterpay has the odd couple of days up, um, but 
but when it when it does have its down days, um, it really does fall. So for the moment, um, again, I think Afterpay is a stock that will get cheaper. Um, I think that low in May is a key level, of course, around eighty five dollars. Um, maybe it bounces off that, but for me, it's it's definitely a wait and see. Uh, again, if you can get this at the right, you know, if you could try to get this one at the right levels, um, you've got quite a bit of upside. But I think buying it here around a hundred dollars. Maybe it goes to 85 before it does anything. You know, you're potentially already sitting on a loss straight away. So I'd, I'd just be on the sidelines and wait for that support to come in. Okay, mate. And I think the charts probably vindicate your um, your caution there. Let's go to one that I like definitely in terms of sometimes in, in 2022, I'm going to be happy I bought this one. Uh, but at the moment, it's, a, it's got a few challenges, particularly because of lockdowns and the Delta um, strain of the coronavirus, Qantas. Yeah, look, the, you, you're right, Peter. It, obviously, at some point, you'd expect um, you know business as usual for these businesses, and um, and again, if you can get them at the right price, while everyone's concerned about COVID, you could do really well in the longer term. So, I mean, not you know, on that rationale, I've I've been in and out of Qantas and some of the other travel stocks last year. This year, as you could see, it's been it's been a bit of a difficult one to to pick just when you think that we're free uh they they drag us back into ourselves so um with Qantas it, it is reflecting that that sort of uncertainty so um it bounced quite nicely in in May um it tried to get another run in June um but similarly with with Afterpay where it it went to a previous low and was sold down. We've seen the same thing with Qantas. So what it's done here is it rallied um, late June, early July, um, hit the, the previous peak in June, which I've indicated with that horizontal line, uh, and then it's come back. So at the moment, it looks like we've potentially got this double top within a downtrend, and that's why I've put the two arrows there, which is a short-term negative. So again, Qantas, look, I, I agree with you, I think, you know, we would look back and think, wow, you know, it's it's great. We picked that up at a cheaper level, but I think you can actually get this one even a little bit cheaper. So maybe over the next few weeks, as there's all these lockdowns and the you know, lack of vaccination start weighing on the public, you know, we might see a few more people give up on this and um, we might even be able to get it a bit cheaper. Yeah. And the thing is, is Mark, it seems to me um, 450 would be a really good buying price, but 440 you buy buy it with your ears pinned back, provided you're prepared to, to wait for the the good times to roll back. Yeah, that would be. I think there'd be decent support back there. All right. One interesting one is uh, Westpac. Most of the banks don't have all that much upside, but the analysts are fairly positive on Westpac, uh, with about nearly a 20% gain expected, maybe a little bit more. What What are your charts saying about Westpac? Um, look, this is another one where I think investors can get it a little bit bit cheaper. Um, to be honest, I you know it's had a fantastic run since those March lows, and it looks like that uptrend is starting to to roll over here. Um, you know, it, it's important in in an uptrend, stocks make higher highs, higher lows, quite simply. And now it's gone past the previous low which is that horizontal blue line so that's around 25 dollars so that low in may instead of the, sh the share price for westpac coming back near that and then bouncing it's actually gone under it so i think at best 
Westpac over the next few weeks or so drifts sideways. Um, you know, at worst, it does come back a little bit. And again, I think that's just linked to the fact that, you know, New South Wales, Sydney's in lockdown. It, it, it will affect the economy and, and banks are fairly cyclical. So as we know, um, Westpac will, will have its ex-div in, in November. So we've got if so if you're an investor looking for the dividend, um, you've got time to wait. And I think you could probably pick this up um, a bit cheaper before it runs into the dividend. There's still time on your side. You don't have to rush into it. Yeah, okay. But we've got sort of a similar theme about all of these. And that's why I wanted you to, you know, you know, confirm what the charts are saying. Let's get one that I know you liked not too long ago. Mm. Um, probably since then, OPEC Plus have um, in, sort of implied there'll be a, a lot more supply and, and the price has, the oil price has fallen. But are the charts saying, well, maybe you should hold fire on wood side or is it, are they saying, yeah, maybe it's time to buy? Yeah, well, Woodside's just hanging in there. Um, when I first looked at it, um, it was in, in early June. So um, what I saw was a, uh, I guess a downtrend in the share price of Woodside, which I've indicated with that diagonal blue line. Um, and then in June, it broke above that. Uh, and I thought it was going to start an uptrend. So I was, I was wrong about that. Instead of starting an uptrend, all it's done so far is just head sideways. So we don't have the downtrend anymore, but we just don't have an uptrend. Um, so we've got this sort of sideways movement now on Woodside. I think last time I mentioned it needs to stay above that that low in May, which is near $22. Um, so I've drawn that horizontal line. We could see that last week it, it went right back to that May low and bounced off it. So it's just hanging in there, Woodside. Potentially we've got a double bottom in place, which is a positive, but um, we just don't have any upside momentum. So look, at, at the moment for me, it's 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 a hold. It's, it's not a rush in and buy. Um, but I think it is one to look for as, you know, keep an eye on because as we know, the, the price of oil has gone up so far this calendar year and these energy stocks have lagged. So, you know, you might see a, um, a snap snap back up in these share prices, but unfortunately it's it's just not happening just yet. Yeah. Michael, interesting um, analysis is that, all right, the world is starting to get back on its the success of vaccinations outside of Australia, very, very good. And so 2022 may well be a year of a lot more travelling. Uh, and that, I think, should help a company like Woodside. Um, and the more we get back to normal, the more likely that this company will be making better profits. And you think yeah. that could be a, a stimulus to the share price going forward. But once again, you might have to wait. Yeah, 100%. I, I agree with you. you. You know, once we get all those planes in the air, they consume a massive amount of amount of fuel, as, as we know, and um, and that that should give these stocks a kick along. And I suppose just this, you know, this Delta variant that's uh, that, that's around the world is is um, I guess pushing pushing back that that time frame that investors are expecting uh, a lot of travel to happen, but. You know, even though it's affecting us domestically for for reasons we know of, um, you know, overseas they you know they do seem to be getting on with it. Um, we've seen in the UK, um, you know, they're they're keen on on opening up that that travel again. So, yeah, it is very much a twenty twenty two story. Um, you know, the market's supposed to be forward looking, so hopefully it gets around to uh, 
um, you know, buying into these stocks. But at the end of the day, you know, a story is a story. If the share price action isn't there, um, you know, for me, if it breaks that that horizontal line, I'd, I'd rather just be out of it. Um, but yeah, based on all those um, potential uh, potential factors you just mentioned for next year, um, you know, we should you know we should end up seeing some some further upside and good side over the next twelve months. Yeah, now your favourite um, is one of my favourites, um, uh, and, and that's zero. And mm. and looking at the chart, which we've now got on the screen, it looks pretty damn good. So tell us the story. Yeah, so um, you know, for those unfamiliar with with zero, so it's a cloud um, accounting software. Um, they've they actually have been profitable, so it's a profitable um, tech company, which which mm. is great. Um, the share price has made huge gains over the last few years or so, um, but I think it's ready to make a make another run. So um, we could see that the share price did peak in December um, and came back, but what it's been doing over the last several months is effectively just trade sideways in a narrowing range. I always mention these narrowing ranges. You know, last time when we spoke about Linus, we had that narrowing range and the breakout. So this is this is also a narrowing range, but on a bigger scale. So over the last several months, we've had zero. Uh, the range start to tighten up, as I've shown with the with the diagonal um, blue lines. So what that means is it's had a massive run over the back end of 2020. It's just consolidated that move, um, and now what it's doing, which I've circled at the far right hand side, is it's starting to break out of that range. So this is actually one that. Um, that I've been buying last week for, for clients. I think that this one's on the move again and it should just resume the uptrend from here. So it's still it's still fairly, yeah, it's still at the start of that move. So, you know, for our viewers, if they're looking to buy zero, I think it's still a buying opportunity right here. It's only just starting the move. Um, and if this is a legit breakout, then over the next few months or so, we'll, we'll see it trading at new highs. Yeah. And what's interesting is that I think this chart really confirms that when you get a quality company that really is an outstanding performer in its industry, it's a great strategy to buy on the dips. Look at those dips. After every dip, there's been a nice rise out of that dip. So mm. certainly confirms that, that investment strategy. Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Peter. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, we've looked at the charts for Zip and now we get a chance to talk to the CEO of Zip Co, Larry Diamond. Larry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us today. Cheers. Now, you know, I've been a big fan of the company and uh, your quarterly report came out last week, which, you know, a lot of people thought was pretty good, but the market hasn't taking it um, very positively. And I, I guess I'm linking it to the fact that there were big stories about Apple and PayPal and, and new rivals coming into the market. How do you see it, mate? Yeah, no, uh, we, we also thought it was a good result. Uh, and, uh, you know, validation of a lot of the hard work 
uh, with the team and, and also the uh, opportunity before us. I think, I think, first of all, in terms of competition, uh, Zip is fearless. When we started Zip eight years ago, if we were afraid of competition, I, I don't think we would have taken our first step. Um, having said that, when we see the competition arise, we've seen you know, PayPal and, and Apple uh, rumors and, 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 and speculation. Uh, one is, of course, it validates that these products and services are actually here to stay. There is a new way that millennials and post-millennials want to pay. Uh, the banks are struggling to uh, innovate and we're seeing really the whole financial services sector and technology firms try and understand how to play. Do they buy, do they build, or do they partner? And so our view is actually that increases the total addressable market. But at the same time, our business is the installment business. When you zip a transaction, that is exactly what we do, whether it's a $200 purchase, whereas a $2,000 purchase, and allowing customers to pay back responsibly and affordably over time, including small business. So what I'd say is this is what we do. It's what we do every day. Quite different to many other firms who are attaching it as a, as a feature set. And I think finally, we do see ourselves almost as the stripe of buy now, pay later. And so as the entire sector gets energized by this and wants to offer these products and services, if we have the best technology, the best APIs, the easiest way to connect, then we can be a huge part of the ecosystem. And so we are great partners as well at the end of the day. How big is the buy now, pay later market in the USA right now? And how big do you think it's going to grow over the next few years? If you look at Australia as a case study, up to 20% of e-commerce checkouts go through buy now, pay later payment types. Whereas in the US today, depending on how you calculate it, it might be less than 2%. So our view is that it's, it's going to accelerate enormously. The, the, the US e-commerce market will be getting close to a trillion dollars in the next year or two. Um, so if you sort of fast forward that uh, a couple of years, we're talking $200 billion just as a steady state today. And there's, there's, there's a forecast out in market that the buy now, pay later sector will get to a trillion dollars uh, over, over the next three to five years. So your um, division in America, QuadPay, um, it seemed to be a good part of the report. Have you, A, I, I presume you agree, but have you, have you seen some criticism of it that has surprised you? Look, I think, uh, you know, we've got a great team over there and a really founder-led mindset that's driving innovation and cutting deals. And so even in the face of competition, their results have been fantastic. We, we just had our budget review and uh, the numbers that we had down for them over the last 12 months have actually blown, blown through those numbers. Uh, so, you know, we are a little less known in the market. And once we complete our rebrand next, next month, uh, we hope that that will elevate who we are in market and really be seen as a true competitor. We've got a lot of global relationships with brands here in Australia, such as Facebook, eBay, and Amazon. And so I think once this rebrand is completed, we will be seen more as a truly global buy now, pay later payments powerhouse and, and hopefully join, join the conversation. So you're changing quad pay to zip, is that right? And if you are, yeah. does that mean Americans might not know who zip is for a while? Yeah, so we will be rebranding from QuadPay to Zip, and we've begun the education process uh, with our with our consumers. When you look at the app, or you go to the website, uh, and you know a lot of our a lot of our business comes comes through the app. So we actually control a lot of our lot of our real estate. Also, the merchants, uh, we work very closely with the merchants to change our, our our branding there, and we've got combining that with our first 
brand awareness campaign, which we had planned for early in the year, but we actually are waiting for the brand to launch. We'll be investing in a lot more brand awareness and, and uh, top of funnel. So, uh, and plus our pipeline, interestingly, has got some really exciting global retail brands that we'll be launching for the first time on, on the Zip brand in the US. Can you give us an example? I can't share them yet because we haven't announced them, but uh, you'll see you'll see a few. We'll announce up this in the program here, Larry. You could easily do that. <laughs> we will, we will. I mean, look, one of the one of the great differentiators for Zip is if a merchant integrates with Zip once, we can open up in twelve markets with a single integration. And so, what you're going to increasingly see, and markets where many of the other players don't don't play. So we have a true differentiation where a retailer can integrate Zip once and offer a offer buy now pay later in in uh, multiple markets and so we see that as a great driver of growth for us over the next 12 months so larry i've seen a story that you may well be getting involved in cryptocurrency for your client base which i've seen numbers of 2.5 million correct me if those numbers are too low or too high but to me it seems like if you've got a database of loyal customers it does give you the scope to do other things. I've even said you've seen that you may well be thinking about getting into making stock trading available. Is this all true? So we've got we've got seven point customers now globally. And, and if you think about buy now pay later, it is a great first product for the for the millennial, right? It's it's free to pay back, it's easy to understand and easy to sign up. But I think we've got a great opportunity to drive lifetime value for the customer beyond buy now pay later transactions. And when we survey our customers, they do talk about their, their financial diet being buy now, pay later, investing in fractional shares and investing in, uh, in a crypto. So we will be looking at a range of these investing and, uh, and um, financial services products inside our app. However, it must be linked to our mission to be the first payment choice everywhere and, and, and every day. We're not just going to become a, a bank vault or a, or a vault to put your gold bars in. It has to drive preference. And so that's how we think about what goes into our, our financial wallet. But we absolutely believe that we can increase the lifetime value, the LTV of customers through adding additional financial services in the, in the Zip app. Are you seeing any interesting developments in the shareholders uh, into Zip? I, I read a story that Klarna, a potential rival, was holding 4% or so. Is that a true story, Larry? I mean, when street talk is fantastic for the rumor mill, uh, and uh, I think we'll always see plenty of rumors through the rumor mill. We don't we don't publicly release uh, shareholders below the uh, the five percent mark. And of course, when when a shareholder becomes substantial, i.e., meaningful, they are legally obligated to to release that to a market. So I think if you haven't seen anything pop up, then uh, I think uh, just 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 keep supporting us. Okay, radio. Uh, I think I, I think the other point on the register, which is an important one, is you know we are one of the most top traded stocks on the stock market each week, but we've also got a huge and loyal and large retail base, which is quite different to a lot of the other stocks out there. A hundred to one hundred thirty thousand retail investors who we are uh, big big fans of, and uh, you know we thank for their support and uh, and hope to see them continue to to support the story. Okay, well, you know, retail investors are sometimes left out of the inside information, which is allegedly passed on legally to bigger uh, investors in the market. Yep. And, and, and a lot of retail investors rely on what they read in newspapers or on websites or whatever. Yep. Um, 
in, after your report, which you already said was you know, a good report, and, and many people said the same to me, what do you think was the, 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 the key mistake that some of the analysts made, which became public, which you don't think was a fair portrayal of where, where your company's going? Yeah, look, I think, uh, I think first of all, we have you know, big supporters of democratising access um, for the retail base. And we are thinking a lot about that. You know, I, I can kind of share with the audience. We're thinking a lot about how we do a better job at communicating with retail investors, because ultimately it's the institutions who book the meeting and, and have the meeting inside, inside the room. And a big reason why we do report quarterly, even though we legally don't, don't uh, have to. Um, I think a lot of the analysts perhaps find our approach complex, more complicated than, than uh, some of our peers not just in product strategy, but also growth, and therefore find it difficult to really understand uh, the DNA of our organization, which is all about innovation, pushing, pushing the envelope, uh, and, and also the, um, and also the, uh, the uh, growth. I think they, they are expecting that competition uh, and a lot of these other factors mean it's gonna be a lot more difficult for us to uh, operate. And what I'd counsel is that, uh, you know, one, we are, global in, 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 in nature, but we're equally passionate about Australia, might I add. You know, Australia is still a core, core market. Um, we are unique in that we, un unlike many of our peers, you can split a transaction for any dollar amount with any stakeholder. And that is very different to many of our peers that might just play in small dollar or kind of big dollar. Um, and, uh, and we're investing a lot in our app and financial services app. And so the, uh, understanding the true lifetime value of customer will be a bit more difficult for analysts to, to, to see at this stage. Okay, well, one last one. If, if there's one um, concern that some analysts have raised, and my colleague, Paul Rickard, has made the point being an ex-banker, therefore you can't trust Paul totally being an ex-banker. He says, the, the one thing that uh, Afterpay and Zip uh, have is a, a fairly big charge on merchants. And as the big ones come in, they will offer a lower charge to yep. merchants for using the service. That then makes them think, well, you know, the profitability of Zip will be challenged if they have to match it. What yep. would you say to that criticism or that concern? Yeah, so, so two points. One is that Zip derives income both from merchant and customer and that the customer fees are fair, transparent, easy to understand. So we do make good revenue from customers, probably more so than our peers globally. And that's both in the US as well as Australia. And so I think that provides strong defensibility. I think secondly, uh, these products are actually understood by merchants to be at the intersection of marketing and payments. And so retailers are paying 5, 10, 15, 20% to sell goods on marketplaces to pay affiliate networks such as Facebook. And so we're actually significantly cheaper when you, when you, when you look at it from a marketing and payments processing perspective. And perhaps that is why we saw in the last few months, PayPal increase their fees over in the States, right? Which was quite an interesting move. They could have gone the other way uh, to try and um, push, push fees all the way to, to the bottom, but they show that they're demonstrating that payment providers, particularly in our space, are adding a lot of value to uh, retailers. It's also our, our job. We have to continue to deliver value to retailers in the form of higher, higher average order values and new customers. I, I thought you might've said that also that if these big um, challenges come in the market and grow the market, 
well then and they at the same time are giving you price competition you you actually could decrease what you're charging merchants because the, the number of merchants you'll be servicing will grow with yeah. the market mm -hmm. I mean, it's always a play between volume and merchant fee. Merchant fee is the driver on on uh, on, on on volume. So, uh, but I think today, sure, sure, there has been a little bit of price competition in the last few years. We have generally, if you look at Australia, priced a little bit below our peers because we have the customer the customer revenue to help to help subsidise. Larry, thanks for joining us on the program. Going forward, thank you very much, Peter. Have a great day. Well, joining us now, as he often does, is Marcus Bogdan, who is the portfolio manager of the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. And Marcus is an expert on stocks, so I always like to throw questions at him. Marcus, thanks for coming on the program. Good to be here. Thanks, Peter. You know, one, one thing you do is you search for companies that pay great dividends, and there was a high expectation that, particularly I think the CBA was going to pay, even do a, a share buyback. Uh, do you think the lockdowns in Sydney and Melbourne could affect the dividends that you might have been expecting, say, three or four months ago? No, I don't think so on a, on a, on a broad perspective. And I think it's really, if you look at the composition of the types of companies that we have in the portfolio, uh, there is an emphasis and a cornerstone in the portfolio around quality market leaders, uh, whether they be defensive industrial companies like Amcor and Brambles, consumer staples, Endeavour, West Farmers, Coles, Woolworths, all those key healthcare companies. And finally, uh, companies like BHP, and we're seeing uh, mm -hmm. the strength there in an iron ore price, which is, has no uh, correlation to what's happening either in Victoria or New South Wales. And so that emphasis around market leadership, around earnings resilience, uh, gives us great confidence that these companies can navigate through these lockdowns and also continue to pay good dividends. Okay. So what has been the latest one, if, if you've uh, that you've put into the portfolio, or if it, if you've already mentioned them before, what is an interesting one that you've got in the portfolio that a lot of people don't realise is a is a really good dividend payer? Sure. Uh, well, the, the most recent addition that we've made has been in Endeavour, which is the retail drinks and hotel business, uh, which has been spun out of Woolworths that retail liquor business, incredibly defensive earnings, has done very, very well through the pandemic and we expect that that will continue. I think an interesting one that we've got in the portfolio, which we're, we're generally more positive on, has been Medibank Private, offers a dividend yield of around 4%. Uh, there has been an improvement in the sort of the, the operational and the, and the industry outlook for private health. Uh, there's been a better uplift in participation. Medibank has increased their market share. They're in an un unquestionably strong capital position. Uh, and then they're also uh, expanding into additional healthcare services that we expect will deliver uh, a higher premium rating in the marketplace. So defensive earnings, 
very attractive dividend of around 4% uh, and gaining market share. Yeah, okay. Now, I, I'm talking through my own pocket here because not only uh, was I behind the creation of Swiss Dividend Growth Fund, I actually have my superannuation money in the fund as well. And before the crash, it peaked out at about $2.70 and we, we're getting awfully close to that level again. And I guess my question to you is, do you, from what you're seeing out there for the next year or so, do you think that the the likelihood is that this um, fund and its unit price has uh, uh, the capacity to get to new highs considering that $2.70 number we saw before the crash uh, due to the coronavirus? Yeah, it's a, it's a really important uh, point that you're making. And I think you've got to bring it back to investment fundamentals and what does either drive uh, the market higher uh, is around the trajectory of earnings. And so the trajectory of earnings, particularly what we're going to see in the upcoming reporting season, is earnings growth of around north of 20%. That will be driven by uh, a good uplift in the banks, particularly CBA. We're seeing it already in the materials and companies like, like BHP. So that fundamentally, that earnings growth supports market valuations of where they are today. And so the next iteration is looking at, well, what's going to happen in 2022? And consensus forecasts are still expecting around 10% earnings per share growth for the coming coming year. And so again, that is supportive of both capital appreciation and, earn, and earnings growth, and importantly, particularly for the, for the dividend um, portfolio, an uplift in dividends as well. So we would expect that we will get past the pre-pandemic pre levels of both earnings and dividends over the next 12 months. Okay, mate, well, keep my fingers crossed and I'll keep monitoring it on a fairly regular basis while I drag you on the show. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks, Peter. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, joining me now is Charlie Aiken of Aiken Investment Management and Charlie's Fund. You know, tracks and invests in a lot of American companies. And one in particular I'm keen to talk about is Microsoft. And my question a lot of people ask me, is it too late to buy into Microsoft? Charlie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, morning, Pete. The answer to that is simply no. This is the greatest business in the world, as I've said on your show multiple, multiple times. Continues to do well. The share price is a record high, but it absolutely deserves it. If you look at the result, this is a $2 trillion company that generated 21% revenue growth. You don't see that sort of stuff, Pete. Here's one, Pete, one point you should remember about Microsoft, why it's not too late to own Microsoft. For every dollar of revenue, it generates 33 cents in free cash flow. One dollar of revenue equals 33 cents of free cash flow. So this business generated 56 billion of free cash flow in the last 12 months. 
It did 24 billion of buybacks, 16 billion of dividends, and it's still got 130 billion of cash on its balance sheet. You know, no, no debt, no net debt. So to me, this thing is a critical business, critical uh, economic business that the world simply can't open for business with it. Think about it, Office, Office, uh, Windows, Azure, LinkedIn. LinkedIn even has revenue of 10 billion nowadays, Pete. This is a tremendous business going brilliantly well, has had an excellent pandemic, if you want to describe it that way. And I absolutely do not think that the best is uh, behind Microsoft. I actually think the best is still ahead of it. Yeah, and Microsoft Teams is something that's, you know, a lot of people are now using. We never thought about using it a year or so ago. We flew everywhere. We took, we actually did face-to-face meetings, but sure, the, the new world loves things like Zoom and Microsoft Teams. Yeah, well, I think that, we, I mean, I mean, even though you and I are locked in Sydney, the, the rest of the world is reopening, but not everyone's gone back to the office. This work-from-home thing is still, you know, evolving. Maybe people do four days. I know the answer to that, but... All these things we've become very used, very good at using. You and I are using Zoom now, where you can use Microsoft Teams. But I think Microsoft is superbly positioned, Pete. It's the biggest investment we have. It has been the biggest investment we've had for three or four years, as I've said on the show. And I still think it is the world's best company. And okay. I think you know people should own it. Let's go to another big performer in the world, namely Alphabet, because the, the parent company of Google and who doesn't wake up to Google every morning. Um, is this company, is it too late to buy uh, Alphabet? Absolutely not would be my view. Again, one of the world's most important companies, Pete. This business grew 61% year on year, another $2 trillion company. It's up 26% per annum in revenue over the last two years. It's got an operating margin of 31% up from 26%. Now we're doing this on YouTube today. We'll broadcast this on YouTube. When you and I have talked about how, how YouTube is actually stealing share from TV. YouTube ad revenues were up 84%. They're now 7 billion a quarter. Now, 70, 70% of YouTube reach is to people who don't really watch traditional TV, the much younger generation than, than you and I, you know, without being too harsh on ourselves. So it's getting to places that regular TV can't get to. Wonderful business YouTube would be worth hundreds of billions itself as a standalone business. Search business really starting to pick up with, um, with the economy opening outside of obviously New South Wales, the rest of the world is opening up. You can see the UK, the US all opening up. So search for travel, entertainment, restaurants really picking up. It's interesting, Pete. The, 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 uh, Google put out a really interesting uh, piece of information that said searches for businesses in my local area were up 20 times versus the previous year. Quite mm-hmm. amazing. People trying to support local businesses in, in what was, you know, in the lockdown and coming out of it. Another interesting thing is the, just the balance sheet here, Pete. This business bought back $13 billion worth of stock in the quarter and still has $130 billion of cash on its balance sheet. These are just wonderful businesses growing at double-digit rates with huge amounts of cash. And, Pete, the world cannot do business without open for business on a daily basis without Alphabet or Microsoft. So while they've had good runs in share prices... You know, both reported you know, yesterday and the stocks were flat, but they've had huge runs into that. And for the stock to be flat is actually a really good outcome considering the, the very short-term world we uh, we operate in. Hi, mate. You're invested in these big companies. They're looking really good. But one chance they might have would be some regulatory interference uh, by the, by the uh, US administration. Do you worry about that or is it a low-order risk? Yeah, we think about it, but Microsoft's already had a huge antitrust issue, you know, 15 years ago. We don't think there's any problem there and there's not much competition for Microsoft. 
Google could have, you know, uh, regulatory issues going forward, but our view is it's worth more broken up. Probably Facebook's also worth more broken up in pieces if, if Instagram was broken up. Like I said, if YouTube was taken out of, out of, um, out of Google, it's probably worth more. But look, I'd be much more worried about regulation in Chinese tech. You've seen what's happened there. It's an absolute disaster bus crash, Pete. Thankfully, my fund's highly underexposed to that. I would be much more worried about what Beijing's doing than, than what's happening in Washington on, on the tech regulation side. Great stuff, Charlie. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you in a few weeks' time. Thanks, Pete.